We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, guys, we have a really long podcast for you here, but I think it's a, a, an interesting exercise. Let's put it that way. For the upcoming season, we are taking a look around the AFC North, and we're going to look at the best and worst outcomes for both sides of the football for teams. So we're doing some forecasting, kind of looking at what has to go right for them to be great, what has to go wrong for them to be bad. Obviously, certain teams have bigger uh, ranges of variance, but I think it's a fun exercise to where the Browns are in accordance with the rest of the division to sort of forecast who we think the best will be. So it's me, it's Andrew Spade, and an interesting topic to see how your Browns stack up with the rest of the division. All of this and more on the latest OBR Film Breakdown. What's up, guys? We are uh, going to do an interesting episode here for your Monday consumption, which is going to be, for most of you, the holiday weekend here. But it seems like a really good time to do a couple episodes that are almost prediction-based, right? We try not to do a ton of these, but I think this one is a really interesting angle on the AFC North specifically. And then for your Tuesday podcast, we are going to go into our broad NFL library here and just look at everything from division winners to predicting some of the playoffs and then hopefully looking at maybe some MVP odds and stuff like that and trying to put together who we think are going to win these awards. So it should be a pretty fun show because it'll be Andrew who's with me today. And then we think we're going to get with uh, Jordan Zerm to, to go through that on uh, on your Tuesday podcast. So it should be some fun stuff. And then Wednesday through Saturday and obviously your game day podcast will be hyper focused on Browns Bengals with everything you need to know about about that ordeal and hopefully we'll get somebody from the Bengals uh, on to chat about where they're at leading up to this thing so uh, we are going to have some fun shows lined up for you if you missed yesterday's show we had Jack Duffin on to talk salary cap which again as far as the nitty-gritty details I think he's the only one doing this in the open market here with the with that covers the Browns and gives you unique perspective and if you uh, if you care about that actually care about understanding the financial motivations and decisions that the Browns make I can't urge you enough to not only read Jack's work, but go back and check out yesterday's podcast as we kind of put a bow on the off season with the restructures and everything and where they sit currently financially. And then some of the bigger picture questions that I think you guys might have around why don't they just keep extending and putting void years on contracts in perpetuity and just stuff like why aren't other teams around the NFL 
doing the same thing, right? With putting money off into later years. There's reasoning behind it that even as I ask Jack those questions, it teaches me a thing or two about it every time. So fun stuff overall and worth your time. Andrew, I welcome you in today. Man, we are going to have a, uh, I think this is a fun one. I, I, re I really like to do the best case, worst case scenario for the Browns. I think when we, uh, you know, when you talk about these guys all the time, I don't know that anybody is claiming that this year based on how sometimes our conversations try to collect the good and the bad. I think we've done a really nice job of balancing that. Sometimes people don't like to hear the balance, but I think we've done a pretty nice job of it. I have done a podcast every year called What Could Go Wrong? And uh, far too often that podcast, if I, I, don't, I don't go back and listen to it because I just don't want to torture myself. But from what I hear, people tell me it's pretty accurate <laughs> the last few years. And I don't want that to be the case. So I'm almost going to take out that angle uh, here, Andrew. I'm going to take it out from yeah. a specific rounds, what could go wrong angle. And we're just going to look at the bigger picture of the division and say, what's the best case scenario, worst case scenario for the offense, defense of these teams in the division? I think that's fun. I think you can get some decent analysis on all of this. We're not, you know, we're not as dialed in as teams who cover the Steelers, Ravens, and Bengals as they're every day, but I feel like we have a, we have a decent feel for the division. I, I hope. I think we'll, we'll produce some pretty good thought around uh, where these teams are and what could go right and wrong. So we're going to do the Browns last. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not doing anything with that other than I just want to save that conversation till the end. And then yep. we're going to go pretty much just the order of where the division finished last year, right? So we'll go Bengals, Ravens, and then Steelers, Browns after the break. Sound fair? You ready to do this? Yeah. And I, I would just, you know, kind of echo your sentiment sentiments, uh, which is to say that um, it's never, you know, being realistic or, or quote unquote negative about the Browns is never about trying to tear them down or, revel in them not doing well I, you know nothing would be better for you and I professionally than the Browns being the best team in the NFL right like it's that's just yep. true so we should want that you know and there's there's no benefit if to for the Browns going out and having another lost season us having to cover a coaching search there yeah. that is not good for us and neither of us want that to happen so like we'll just just be clear about that what I think is most interesting when you talk about the NFL is trying to understand what the what the guardrails are for these teams. You know, we talk about guardrails in, in relationship to the draft. What are the guardrails in terms of the 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 likelihood of certain outcomes? Right where where does where does the range of outcomes fall? Because you're never going to accurately predict the NFL. It just can't be done. So the best I think you can do is just to try and talk about what forms the highs and the lows for each team. And you try and be balanced and honest about what a good season would look like for a team and what a bad season would look like for a team. Which, which again, to me, you know, we kind of want to focus on the Browns here a second. We got into this. I mean, Andrew and I are Browns fans. Almost everybody who works for the OBR has, has gotten into this because we're Browns yeah, fans. So, love I, I mean, I didn't, I did not take a traditional journalistic path. I mean, I've, gathered everything I need to do this. I've acquired it along the way. I have an English degree. I, I just, I don't, um, I, the reason I got into writing on the Browns way back and waiting for next year, a long time ago was, Oh, I know football pretty well. Nobody's doing what this is. I, I think is a really unique angle here covering the X's and O's of this thing. And I also really enjoyed talking about the Browns that makes the writing and the content easy, right? If you get a job right out of college and you go cover the Panthers or whoever, it's a job, right? It's a job. And you you find yourself being very neutral or sometimes even shaded in the negative. I think that can happen sometimes too. We are always trying to do what I think is right here, which is 
yeah, we have Browns t-shirts. We have helmets behind me here as we record. Like I have a, an affinity with the Browns that runs way back in my family, right? It just, I was born and bred a Browns fan and I love the organization from a long, you know, for a long time. They haven't always loved all of us back. I think That's we right. could agree, but we are still here and we're still Browns fans. But what we're doing though, is trying to not be one of those very public fronts that are all positive all the time. Nothing can go. I justify every decision this team makes. I justify this player's actions on the field or whatever they did. It, it, it's out there. If you want that angle, you can find it. It is mm. not hard to find. I promise you. Not hard to find. <laughs> it is available. It is very available. And uh, what we're also trying to do is not live in the perpetually negative space because there are also even more front-facing coverage of the Browns that is in that field and has mastered it for a while. We'll leave it at that. They're good at it. We try to live in the middle ground, the perspective ground, the process over results thinking is what I think makes this podcast and, and largely, Andrew, the OBR specifically unique in this market. So if you think we're being too negative, you have to understand we also carry some baggage from covering this, writing about it, talking about it, seeing it. And we are not trying to live in the negative space, but we're trying to give you an understanding of why things could go right or wrong or if we if they went wrong the reasoning for why it went wrong so if we lean one direction or the other i feel like we do a pretty good job of getting back to the middle ground and leaning the other direction for a while to balance that out so that's what we're going to try to do today is put the good and the bad together best case worst case to try to present that as best as possible so yeah uh let's start uh let's start with the Bengals. so Great. we all know uh, we should probably say best case first yep. and then worst case uh, second. So I'm going to pull up our lads, which if you're not familiar with our lads, it is one of the best online depth chart finders that, that are out there. They do a pretty good job of keeping it up to date. So uh, we're going to use that to just reference players and talk about uh, these guys. And, and uh, you know, like I said, we're trying to hone in on uh, the right, the right and wrong, the best and the worst of what could happen. Here's the simple thing to me. I don't think <laughs> with the Bengals offense, I just think if <laughs> this is going to, I don't want to do this where, where we, where we go down this path of like, well, if they just stay healthy, they're going right. to be pretty right, good. Right, right, right. Like, but they're really good. And I mm -hmm. think that what I will say, Andrew, is when Jamar Chase missed time last year, mm -hmm. they were completely different. Yep. Even when they had T. Higgins, and I get after the Browns game, I, I'm just doing this offhand. They weren't. I want. I don't want to say they were awful because I think they beat they, they beat Carolina really bad the next mm -hmm. week. I don't know if you want to look that up, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like Jamar Chase um, went out. It was around the Browns game, mm -hmm. and I thought their offense looked really, really bad, uncomfortable when they came to Cleveland early in the year, and then he missed some extended period of time middle yeah. of the season. But they weren't off. I I don't want to say that they were they were worse, but they were just different. They weren't quite as good. But I think they still found a way to win some games there, right? Do you have that that run in front of you? <laughs> I, I, I do, Jake. They, they probably won every other game but the Browns. That is game. correct. Is that the case? that yeah, is correct. That's why I'm laughing. Right. Because week, week I'm eight, 32-13 in Cleveland, they lose. And then they reel off, uh, I believe it is eight straight okay, to, to great. finish the season. So Great. I'm not editing this out, so I'm also <laughs> dumb. Um, and I think, I think Chase missed the first three of those. He missed the Carolina game. And then there was the bye, and then they came back and outdueled the Steelers 37-30, and then they went on the road and beat the Titans 20-16. to And then from then on, Chase was back for Kansas City, Cleveland, Tampa Bay, and New England. That sounds right. But I, I will say this to, to, to cover my tracks. I feel like their offense was a little different. I mean, it's Jamar sure. Chase. You, sure. you lose him, yeah. and their offense was not quite – I mean, okay. 
So how does it go right for the Bengals? They stopped like the beginning. If you recall the beginning of the season, they had this issue. I cannot remember specifically what the issue was, but they were they were really predictable. They were playing a lot of under center stuff, trying to hit big plays downfield off of play action. And teams were sitting on it, doing a great job of defending it. And then if I recall, again, you're watching from a, a little bit afar here. They're in your division, but you're not studying them. They converted to more gun. They had a, they diversified. And this is a lot of what I hope the Browns do. They di- diversified their gun run and did some stuff to, to counterbalance. They were really struggling with cover six early in the season mm-hmm. towards Chase's side, that down corner with the safety over top, pairing it with a backside quarters look. So that was a bit of a problem for them, but they figured it all out. I thought they did a great job of balancing. And by the end of the year, that gun shotgun that they were living in and a lot of empty they lived in a lot of empty and they were very successful from it it was really a really good version so i think the the best case scenario is not hard to find here right. I, I really i really don't i don't even know if we have to even go into the best it's just they if they're all healthy and the offensive line is better um you know it's hard to say because it wasn't great last year and they were still reeling off a ton of wins yeah. if the offensive line is better the best case scenario is they all just keep clicking. It's all right. the same names, right? The um, the worst case I think we can get into. I ch- I think you can pinpoint a few specific names, but yeah, you know how do they stay great? They I just think they continue to evolve and expand what they're doing from the gun. Yeah, and the well, best case is that they're again one of the best offenses in the, right. the 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 whole league, let alone this this division. Yeah, we're talking strictly on the offense. The the upside scenario for them is that the changes that they made to the offensive line pay dividends, right? That the the extra depth that they have uh, across the offensive line helps them deal with any mm-hmm. small injuries that come up. So even if they aren't 100% healthy, they're able to kind of plug guys in here and there and mitigate, you know, small injuries. Orlando Brown, you know, uh, advances their run game, you know, because he's such a good run-blocking left tackle. And that allows them to kind of to, to win a few different ways on offense, which I think they showed last year uh, through yeah. that, that second half of the year streak. But I think seeing that for a full season, seeing them come out that way and continue to have sort of no discernible weaknesses on offense, which is where they got to. I mean, I think it's worth remembering. Like, you know, they got a pretty good test from the Ravens in the wild card game. There was that goofy fumbled you know, fumble at the one yard line that Sam Hubbard returns and that, yep. you know, uh, becomes the the difference. They, they went 24, 17. Then they went to Buffalo and dismantled the bills. It was 27 to 10 on the road in the playoffs. Like that was a true statement game. I know that the bills were in a pretty unique situation in terms of everything they were dealing with, but it was, it was comprehensive. And, uh, you know, then they're, there that Joseph Asai penalty basically away from taking it to overtime against the Chiefs in Kansas City. So they they went basically, you know, toe to toe with the eventual Super Bowl champions in the Super Bowl champions home building. And, you know, I, I that so as you as you're saying, Jake, that it's not that the high the high side doesn't need to be much higher. I mean, there, there's not much room, there's not much room between the where they are in the ceiling, right? They yep. they are operating the roof as one is of the, the truly, ceiling yeah exactly you know? they're, they're operating as one of the truly elite offenses in the league and i think the hope for them is that the tweaks that they made to the offensive line give them a little bit more depth so that when injuries creep up as they inevitably do for every team they have options because last year they kind of ran out of guys in that in the playoffs yeah they a reminder of like they're a lotto ticket t- they just have tickets to these playoffs and I, i'm sure they're viewing it this not that they 
like there's a real realistic situation where the Bengals just don't have a good season. Injuries mount up, things don't go as right for them as they have. This division is good enough that if any team is just kind of down yep. and you're, you're you're clunky for half the year, either the first half or the second half, you could miss the playoffs. It is not a guarantee. Now we're talking about the Bengals and the AFC South here. So I would say, yes, the 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 expectation for them is to be extremely good, right? And mm-hmm. um, they have been in the playoffs for two straight years, and they've gone toe to toe and beat those teams in either their state. It doesn't even matter the location, right? They had the Bills just befuddled. We'll talk about the defense. They had Josh Allen in that group; just they had no answers for what they were doing defensively and offensively. They just—they're very Joe is just. Back to his LSU days, he, ca- he capitalizes on your mistakes. He is, uh, and he puts the football up and trusts his guys. I know that is some level of people who uh, are really you know, picky about these quarterbacks don't think that that's a skill, but I, I really do think he knows where to put it for his guys, the the ball chasers, you know, Jamar obviously and and T to go get it, and he does a good job of knowing the right time to take those chances. So. I don't think there's anything we need to go crazy with here on best case scenario because they've already showed it. They've already showed it. And then it's just about seizing the opportunities that we're putting in front. I mean, they had that drive in the Super Bowl to go win it, and yep. they just didn't get it done. They had the chance in Kansas City uh, to go win it, and they couldn't get it done. Yep. So they need to just sort of close the door as far as if you they're an elite team. They yep. are, and, and they just need to get over the hill there. On the flip side, Andrew, of the neck, like what could go wrong? You know, to me, I'm not worried about like Jamar T and Tyler Boyd are going to be fine. I, I mean, the, again, the only thing that's hurting those guys is injuries. But well, there's some specific positions that I'm I'm curious about. Orlando Brown, fine, not elite though. And if he doesn't have a great season, as far as like what Joe does, because Joe is so different a football player than Patrick Mahomes. Yep. Right. And Lamar, he's blocked for Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes, who can. Yep help get you out of trouble. It's a very different quarterback to block for. Yep. You're obviously talking about the O-line. You're also looking at switching Jonah Williams to right tackle. Yep. Which is a big deal. Mm-hmm. He's just like uh you know just like Jedrick Wills, he's not been on the and there was there was some pushback very early yep. from him about this, right? And we'll see. He has not even been very good as a left tackle, let alone as your right, right. tackle starter. And then to me my eyes are drawn into to their tight end position. Yep. Where Irv Smith has been hurt almost every NFL season and mm-hmm. he's underperformed based on where he was drafted. And if Irv Smith goes down, you're starting drew sample and Mitchell Wilcox. And that's just a black hole in your right. passing game. Right. Unless you want to be a team that lives in 10 personnel right. who just plays four wide receiver, but that just does so much damage to your run game, right. losing a tight end who can block and be creative with. So, you know, I, I think that they have some interesting young players. Charlie Jones will return kicks for them, and he's an interesting Purdue product that is on their roster. And then Andre Iosivas, I think I'm saying that right. I probably butchered it. But he's had, he had a really strong preseason, the Princeton kid, uh, for them in the preseason. But if Joe, Bur- or, sorry, if Joe Mixon takes a step back, the depth behind him is very much a question mark. Irv Smith, question mark in general. He got a prove-it deal here in Cincinnati. His consistency was staying on the field. And then just the two tackles. Like if, the, yep. if it goes wrong, the offensive line doesn't stand up. The two tackles are not uh, able to give Joe the ample time to, to go through progressions and get where he needs to get in. And, and Joe Mixon 
now without Samaj Pirine as the, right. the primary backup is unable to be a, an effective every single down running back. That's yeah. my mm-hmm. what could go wrong for mm-hmm. their offense. Do you have anything else to add to that? I mean, you, you did cover it pretty exhaustively. Uh, I would say that, um, yeah, it's it, to me it's the offensive line is, is, a, is a bet. They're making a bet that this version fits what they want to do better than the version they had last year, the two years prior, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that's a sure thing. And so I think uh, uh, an offensive line that is better running the ball, but a little bit worse protecting Joe Burrow overall doesn't serve the Bengals in the way that I think that they think it will. Yeah. So if, if that comes to pass, you know, that's kind of my hunch, but it also could just be me rooting against the Bengals. If that comes to pass, then I think the concern becomes – how much pressure does Joe Burrow get and what tools do they have to mitigate that? And I think your point about Samaje Pirine being their primary third down back and really one of the better pass protecting outlet type backs in the entire league, not having that player and instead having some unproven young players behind Joe Mixon, I think really changes the the sort of scope of the what the running back room can do in the pass game to help them. So I think that's, you know, if you're looking for the scenario where the Bengals aren't a Death Star top five offense, it's the offensive line is disappointing compared to what they wanted it to be. And that causes some ripple effects in through the running game, through pass protection. And those, you know, create more inconsistency for this team than they have seen over the past two years. The other thing that's worth mentioning if Burrow is going to take more pressure, which is no sure thing, he's going to be moving more and he, might, you know, have a recurrence of this calf injury, right? And so that's the other obvious, I mean, like, I I know for every team you can say, just stay healthy, but Joe Burrow, you know, is one of those quarterbacks for whom him missing any time puts their season in jeopardy because they don't have a backup. They don't have an alternative. He makes their entire offense work. Yeah, Jake Browning heard that. He's uh, he wrote it down, took some yeah. notes. He's ready to come back at you <laughs> when the moment arrives. Uh, I think we've covered the Bengals. The the best case scenario for this team is top of the NFL offense. I think the worst case is them slipping into a middle tier offense if things don't go well. It's hard for me without. And again, we're doing these without as best we can. You know, some prediction of a major injury. Uh, yeah. It's hard for me to see them being a team that, that slips past sort of middle tier mm-hmm. offense. Like I even know. last year when they were struggling at the beginning, they, uh, you know, obviously Joe had that four interception game against Pittsburgh to start the season. They lost that game. They had no business losing. Like it just is middle tier. That's best case top of the NFL, uh, worst case middle tier. Defense, I'll throw it to you. Uh, you know, Lou Anarumo is special. Uh, and I, I, one of the least talked about, but needs to be talked about names in the NFL. I know you and I are on record saying it irks us that neither of these coordinators were swiped for a head coaching job. Yep. They are, um, you know, perpetually adding to this defense. If you look mm-hmm. in just the past few years, Miles Murphy, Dax Hill, DJ Turner, Cam Taylor, Britt, those are all first or second round picks. Yep. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll throw it to you. Like, what's the best case scenario for this defense? Best case scenario for this defense is that the the pieces that they went out and got this season, this offseason, come in and contribute, you know, uh, right away. Because they're they're going to need, you know, Nick Scott to contribute. They're going to need, I think, Miles Murphy to contribute this year. Uh, I mean, 
Uh, I, I think the, the, them being able to rely on those guys to be part of a unit because the, the Bengals' defense is not – I mean, with all due respect to Trey Hendrickson, right, is not a, a defense that is premised on, like, playmakers. It is a defense that's premised on the scheme and their ability to kind of move between – different coverages and different schemes within even a game, right? I mean, everybody remembers in in uh, the playoffs in 21 when they, you know, came out in the second half, were dropping eight against Patrick Mahomes and it completely befuddled him. Basically, you know, won them that game, put them into the Super Bowl. So their ability to continue to do those sorts of things, to move seamlessly between coverages and different defenses is predicated on, you know, being able to replace both safeties Mm-hmm. And being able to continue to have, you know, a team that basically is is greater than the sum of its parts. I think that's been how their defense has made its money, and that's what they'll need to do again this year. But if they do, and Anarumo can keep, you know, going to his bag of tricks, then I think the best case scenario for the defense is, you know, a top 10 unit that every week is a different week, and they, you know, they'll, they're going to find a way to beat every every uh, offense out there and, and puts the offense, the Bengals offense in a position to succeed every week, which is, you know, they don't have to go out and win these games. The Bengals offense is so good that the, the, the defense just has to not be a liability. And so the best case scenario is that, is that in addition to not being a liability, they are actually putting the offense in position to eat more easily win games so that they don't have to rely on Joe Burrow to win everything for them. So what's interesting is uh, you were talking and I was trying to look up where they finished in DVOA last year. And it's really heartbreaking that football outsiders is just now gone. The website in its entirety yeah, yeah. is gone. I don't know where they're going to take that or how they're going to do it, but um, I believe it's over at FTN fantasy now. Okay. Is it? Well, I, I just wanted to give a barometer of where they finished. And sometimes yeah, I think I'm, I'm PFFs, PFF's grading does a decent job with this stuff where like teams, you know, like here's the top 10 last year, the Jets, the 49ers, the Eagles, Vikings, Chiefs, Rams, Broncos, uh, New England. This is just defense, obviously, because there's some teams here I'm naming. You're like, what? That offense was terrible. It's just defense. Patriots, Ravens, Titans, Commanders, and then the Bengals were tied with the Commanders for 11th. So that probably feels pretty right to me to give you a barometer, the Browns finished 25th. So you're probably gonna be like, Oh, Eureka, that is right. So, um, 11th is their finish in collective defense grade. It feels like that's right to me, right? Like that, that is, um, sort of where their threshold is above or below that. So you made some great points. That front is all back. <laughs> They're all back. Osai is, uh, he's hurt. He's going to miss the early portion of the year that, that matters. I mean, he's a player. Um, it, it matters, you know, obviously he's trying to erase the, the negative of what happened in the final moments of that game last year with the chiefs, but they added miles Murphy to it. The linebackers have remained intact, which is, which is great for them. The thing I think you would agree with Andrew, and I know you've already said a little bit here is the secondary. That's the big wild yep. card for them. Mm-hmm. It is young guys. I mean, Cheetah Bay Woozy is coming back from an ACL. Yep. I think he tore that against the Browns. If I recall early game Browns. So he's going to be coming back from that. Cam Taylor Britt is a young player. Some moments, his rookie season. And then it's like, oh, you got Jordan Battle and Dax Hill. And, uh, you know, Mike Hilton's a tough SOB. You and I love his game. But, like, mm-hmm. is DJ Turner. They have names, right? They have invested serious capital. Dax, DJ, yeah. uh, Cam Taylor Britt, and Jordan Battle are all first, second, or third round picks. They have mm-hmm. invested here. 
is it the same as Jesse Bates and Von Bell? Are they able to replicate? Is Awuzie back? Because when he's healthy and right, he's really tough. Mm-hmm. But if they're down him, then you're starting DJ Turner right. and Cam Taylor Britt. It just is it's something to see. If it goes south to me, it's because mm-hmm. the secondary is no longer matching the quality of the front. Mm-hmm. And to me, if they were 11th last year, the best case scenario is they're talented enough to creep into the top five. I think yeah. they are talented enough yeah. to creep into the top five. If they're not up to par, they could fall into the 20s. I really think mm-hmm. their range on defense is far wider than their range on offense, which is, again, a, a smart way to go. If you talk to people who study a lot of NFL data, it's more predictability in offense year to year than there is in defense. So uh, I'm sure they're they're quite comfortable with that. But there's just it's a lot of talent on the Bengals. So it's some yeah. very specific things that have to go wrong for them to have like a nine and eight or ten and seven season. Like they're an eleven or twelve win team to me. I really I really think so. Yeah. Um, and and like you're fighting with them, you better take some wins away to to get. Yeah. Ask them to win the division. So yeah. their range to me is like 10 wins to 12 wins. I, it's hard to see them losing. You know, we're eliminating the luck. You know, the luck thing is interesting because we were talking about this the other day and we're going to talk about the Steelers in a little bit, but the Steelers are likely going to open with the 49ers with no Nick yep. Bosa. And mm-hmm. that's an element of all of this that we don't ever know is the time yep. at which you play a team. Because if you play the Niners week one without Nick Bosa is not the same as week six with Nick Bosa. So that's just something to think about. Consider we are not able to always predict those things. And we're obviously not talking about somebody getting seriously hurt. So right. uh, the defense threshold is very much wider offense, more narrow, but uh, it's a really good football team. And I think them being favored to win the division makes sense. They do. Yeah. I, I agree with, with everything you said. I, I think, yeah, the, the downside for the defense, you're right. Is it's, it's interesting to me that they lost three starters out of their secondary and nobody's talking about it. Like how, big of a question mark that is like that's not common to lose that much out of a secondary and for people to be like yeah probably fine you know like I think that shows a lot of respect for Lou Anarumo but there are not I mean Jesse Bates got handed a big 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 pile of money by the Atlanta Falcons like he is a very very good safety in this league and even if the guys that are replacing him are not bad they are not going to be as good as Jesse Bates I think it's I feel confident saying that right so they're they're losing something at safety I think I think they'll be happy if both Dax Hill and Nick Scott can play to Von Bell's level which is I think also asking quite a bit because Bell was a very cerebral player that Mm -hmm. helped make a lot of that stuff come together back there for them so you lose Jesse Bates Von Bell Eli Apple and you're relying on draft picks Two, two draft picks and a sort of second tier or maybe third tier free agent signing to replace them. I think that's a pretty big story, honestly. And by the end of the year, it might not matter. But I think early in the season, I, I can't imagine this defense clicking in the same way that it was last year towards the end of the year. So uh, that's what I will be watching. I mean, you know, talking about this team, it's obviously the Browns play them in, you know, uh, less than a week now. Uh, you know, th- that's if if you think that the Browns are going to have a chance to kind of jump all over them, that's going to, to me, that's the area, right? Is, yeah. is throwing, throwing motions and, uh, you know, confusing the back end of their secondary a, a lot of different ways, whether it's play action, motion, whatever you can do to get guys eyes in the wrong place and try and find deep passes. So that's, I would say the worst case scenario is that the secondary is just, you know, bad for the first part of the year and they're scrambling. And then eventually they probably patch it together. I think Anarumo is good enough that they will probably patch it together. 
And that, you know, as you said, probably keeps them above 500 because the offense is what the offense is. Now, I think it is worth also saying about the Bengals, like big picture, the other like worst case scenario for them is that if they can't get over the hump this year with where they're going with Joe Burrow and his money, where they're going with T Higgins and Jamar Chase and their money, I don't, I think, I mean, I, I think we both respect the Bengals in this iteration quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I do not believe that their front office has cracked the code on team building. And I think they got very, very lucky in back-to-back years with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. And that is not the same thing as having, you know, the ability to consistently build a winner. And I think it's going to be a lot harder for them to do that when they have one hand tied behind their back because they're paying all these guys so much. So this is to me one of the, you know, one of their last chances to kind of get things right. And so the worst case scenario for them isn't so much about what happens this year. They're going to be good this year, but mm-hmm. they kind of need to be really, really great this year because I think struggles are coming for them longer term. I know that as long as they have Joe Burrow, they're going to be a good team, but I I don't have a ton of faith in the, their, this organization's ability to like maximize their their spending and their roster around him. It's been easy for them. It's about to get hard. That's what I'm trying to say. It is. There are going to be some tough decisions to be made. And it's 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 just weird to me that there is no Burrow extension yet. Maybe that'll happen this week. Um, yep. Don't want to eliminate that, but it is strange. There's no Burrow extension. And and I think again, Mike Brown's been fine. It's not worth making fun of. But they are clearly a team that are, is trying to find ways to generate revenue. They have done some yep. things that very much indicate that. Yep. And um, that's a part of the flexibility that we talk about with the Browns roster all the time, their cash spend and how they're able to void years, create money now for, for later that they don't seem to do as much. So mm-hmm. uh, we will keep a close, uh, a close eye on if that becomes a, a larger problem for them uh, down the line. You're right. It is going to get tighter. So to us, what's going to define the Bengals season, the secondary young players, how do they develop? How quickly do they adapt? Do they, do they keep them in games or do they hurt them? And then the offensive line yep. is uh, the other one that is uh, for the Bengals who are just replacing a lot of different things and moving some stuff around. They got to protect Joe really well to start the season because you don't want him using his legs a ton uh, to run around. So there you go. That's your Cincinnati Bengals. Now we move to the Ravens. Uh, Ravens are, uh, they're, they're, they're a, again, a team. I think you have said this in Slack, Andrew, like I could see them winning division. I can see them picking top, top 10. Um, they, they are, and again, this is just, uh, our podcast, uh, a team that again, I just think the, the, the range is pretty wide with them. So yep. looking at their offense, you know, what stands out, right? What stands out? It is Lamar Jackson led. The best case scenario is that the wide receivers become better and that, that, that Todd Monken is a, a real asset, right? We're going to talk about the flip side of it because I, again, I don't think it's discussed enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody loves Todd Monken. I'm, 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 I like Todd. I like him. Um, but they we'll talk about it when we get to best worst case. Best case is that this offense is just more explosive on the perimeter. You got Bateman seemingly healthy. You got Zay Flowers, a first round pick who's a fun player. Odell is there as well and still moving pretty well from videos that we see. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Mark Andrews is Mark Andrews and Dobbins is healthy. And that's an explosive core, right? Yep. And that's they, they a become a 11 and 11 personnel difference making group. And they haven't been that they have usually been leading the league in 12 and 13 personnel. Can they become an 11 personnel threat and, and, and find ways to be creative for Lamar Jackson? Give him some things that are easier than some of the stuff that he has traditionally, you know, traditionally dealt with from 
uh, schematic angles and all of that. Can can he do that? I think that's the big thing. If they get good Todd Munkin and the pairings work, the, the, then it should be the best case scenario is that they're pretty a more balanced and dangerous offense. Um, you know, Ronnie Stanley, we'll see about the health of him. It's been so hit or miss, but the rest of the group's pretty good, right? M- uh, Morgan Moses and we know Kevin Zeitler can still play Tyler Linderbaum. They took in the first round, proven he can play. Uh, they, they look like they're going to be starting a sixth round rookie at left guard. That is certainly something worth monitoring. I'm not even going to really attempt to say that name. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Aumave Laulu uh, is what we'll, you, we'll say. Yeah. I think you did um, a great job. Try my best there. That is a sixth round rookie out of um, uh, Oregon who's going to be their left guard, it appears. But the offensive line should be competent. It's just a matter of. Um, if these playmakers make them an 11 personnel threat, because they've just been so very different from the rest of the NFL. And that different mm-hmm. always hasn't been great. You know that the Greg Roman lost his job because they couldn't throw it, but yep. I'm sure I'm going to throw it to you to talk about the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. I don't think people are talking enough about you gave up Greg Roman and maybe the passing gets better, but what does that do to how you run the ball that has made you so unique and dangerous in that phase? So you talk about the worst case for them. Yeah. I mean, I think the worst case is that, the I I don't I don't have any doubt that a lot of what you know worked for them in years past with Greg Roman is is staying you know because what one of the things that that I've heard talked about this preseason is that despite the fact that Todd Munkin is new a lot of the other assistant coaches are the same so I think a lot of that run game stuff that has worked in the past probably sticks around the question is when when teams find an answer for it, right? Because the, the way that the NFL works, as we as we all know, is that if you find an edge, then everybody else in the league works as hard as they can to find the answer to that edge, right? And so when they find it, and they will, because it, and the NFL is just a numbers game. And so, mm-hmm. there, you know, there is an answer to everything in the NFL, except for Patrick Mahomes. Um, it, so when they find that answer then what happens, right? What's the next step? And I think what has been, what was impressive about Greg Roman, and I think he doesn't get enough credit for, frankly, is finding different ways to get Lamar Jackson in space, right? It wasn't one thing. It wasn't like they just, it's not like Madden where you're like, hey, that play works. I'm just going to run that 16 times and I'll, (laughs) you know, I'm going to run for 400 yards with my quarterback. It, It was always something new, a different way to get him in space. And I think, it's never about the first thing not working for this Ravens team. It's about what happens, what's their answer to the to the to the defense's answer. And that's where yeah. I start to wonder over time if their running game starts to kind of dry up. The other piece that we saw happen with for example the Los Angeles Rams over the past few years, they went out, they brought in Matt Stafford, they were so excited to run a NFL style drop back passing game that they stopped being as good at running the ball because you only have in any practice a set amount of time. So the other question is if the Ravens have spent most of this offseason trying to change, radically change their passing game, how much time have they spent on the basics of their run uh, offense? So I think there are reasons to expect that over time throughout the season, those, uh, you know, sort of go-to answers on the ground. You know, you get the, the Ravens have the ball third and five or less, and you know somehow Lamar's touching the ball and go, getting a first down, right? Whether he's throwing it or whether he's running it, he's going to 
he is going to make the play and get that first down. If those sorts of easier answers start to dry up, and 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 then that puts them in more disadvantageous down and distances, that forces Lamar into the you know the area he has traditionally been weakest at, which is predictable pass situations. I think he's a very gifted passer, but his weakness has been predictable pass situations where pressure can come and uh, coverage can be more disguised. Those sorts of that's when he has been at his worst in my estimation. So if if the Ravens stop having the easy path to short third downs, you know, and and easy yards on offense, then it becomes offense the hard way sometimes. And that's where I think you see Lamar start to struggle potentially. That that I think is the recipe for their offense kind of losing some of the consistency because I think their their real skill, their real asset over the past few years has been being ahead of the chains. So what is interesting about what you said there is the Lamar injury stuff, right? Right. And it is clear to me that a part of the decision to bring Monk in here and what he's traditionally done is we are tired of having Lamar hurt at the end of the year. We would just like, they don't want to take away his ability to run in its entirety, but they certainly don't want to expose him to as many hits. So it is just a gigantic philosophical change for what has been Lamar's entire career. And I think expecting that to go without any hiccups is extremely hopeful. And I think from the national perspective, Andrew, I know you and I agree on this. When you look at what has been discussed, it's just perpetually positive about Monken. Mm-hmm. And I don't think this is to take away from Monken and what he's no. done and who he is, but you're just missing that. Oh, they lost like one of the best ground attack coordinators ever, right? Mm-hmm. Like one of the better ones we've ever seen who's done some special things with mobile quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe they think that they've been with him long enough. They can continue to replicate some of the things he has done, but there is risk there that is yep. just not being discussed enough. And also, Hey, Odell injury yep. history, Rashad yep. Bateman injury history. You want to talk Zay flowers, nice young player, small, very small. How Mm -hmm. is that going to consistently translate JK Dobbins Mm -hmm. when's he found any consistent NFL health? So there's Ronnie Stanley, Ronnie Stanley, a huge part of the offensive line. You just have to, uh, again, we're not predicting that's going to happen, but you have to take into account the history of some of these players. And their offensive line depth is question marks in my mind. Very much. Very much. Yeah. So they finished 10th in offense grade last year. If they hit 10th again, that would be a pretty good outcome for me. Yep. I think that would be pretty good. Could they mm-hmm. get above that? I don't know. I don't know. I really don't. Well, I think in the best case, if if it is truly what everybody's saying and it's Monken's pass offense grafted on top of Greg Roman's run game, then I think it's for sure a top five offense. So as far as the run stuff goes, they were seventh in the NFL in run grade collectively last year. Mm-hmm. They were second in run blocking. Okay, so pass blocking, they were, let's see here if we can figure out just, you know, how they fared in that department. It looks like the Ravens were second in pass blocking, but their pass game, how well they threw the football was 22nd. Mm-hmm. So you move the pass stuff up. Does the run game stay there? That's going right. to define That's it. the big question. That's, That's the big question. Best That's case it. scenario it works out great. Worst case scenario is that the run yep. game slips and whatever the difference in their pass game improving 
it doesn't uh, it doesn't get any because here's the teams around them. The the team that was twenty first was the Titans. Below them, the Falcons, Broncos, Rams, Cardinals, Panthers, Colts. I can go on and on. You know who the worst passing. Yeah, teams they're not are. playoff so, teams. They are not. So the big question for these guys is the the give and take of what they've decided to do. Does the does the uh, take end up being better than what they gave up? That's the question. Yep. All right. Defense for them. I think it's another team pretty similar to what we said about Cincinnati. Up front, they did lose a key part of their front, right? You know, they they obviously let go of Calais Campbell, but they have a lot of talent, right? You know, Broderick Washington, Michael Pierce, these are unsung guys. You ask a lot of people around the NFL, who's Justin Matabuka? They don't know. They don't yep. know, but they play really well. And they have Travis Jones and, like I said, Michael Pierce and then Odafe Owe and then uh, obviously, they, they have uh, David Ojabo as well. They added Jadevian Clowney. We know through conversations you and I have had, their investment at linebacker has been bananas between mm-hmm. Roquan and Patrick Queen and Trenton Simpson. I think their front group will be fine. I don't think I fear that front group as much as I do Cincinnati's, but there's a lot of talent there, and I think that part of the defense will be fine. The question for them like Cincinnati is how are they going to play in the secondary? It's not the same defense as it used to be, um, uh, formerly under uh, what was his the defensive coordinator before Wink Martindale. Wink Martindale. Yep. So it wasn't the same as Wink, where he would just like island up his DBs all the time and blitz like crazy. It wasn't that, but they're still an aggressive defense. Okay, mm-hmm. so you got Rocky Sin. Yep, uh, two safeties are good. Kyle Hamilton, Marcus Williams, good players, mm-hmm. but the corner stuff is dicey. Marlon Humphrey. How healthy is he? When's he going to be back? What does that look like? What's his duration of injury? And then Arthur Millette is their nickel. After that, some depth names are like Jalen Armour Davis, Ronald Darby. Yep. It's a, it's a very, a it ago. is a, yeah. uh, for sure. It is a very clear problem for yep. them, the secondary. And yep. Humphrey, even, even healthy Humphrey, it's pretty good. But, you know, Kyle Hamilton wasn't perfect. Marcus Williams is really good, but not, you know, not perfect. Like, I just think that, um, Humphrey probably swings a lot of things here, but much like Cincinnati, if the coverage stuff ends up being really good, these names that can, if they can make up for it somehow, then you have uh, a pretty good defense, right? They finished 14th mm-hmm. in coverage grade last year. That probably feels like a best case scenario for the coverage grade. If you look at their total defense, they were ninth. If they, if this group gets to ninth again, do you feel like that is right? Andrew? I mean, that's probably that feels like a best case scenario for me, like a really good one. I think th- I think that and the and the some of these young guys on the front taking a step forward combined makes them a, a top ten, top fringe, top five ish type unit. Yeah. You know, I, I think, yeah. But I, I think the the clear best case scenario on their on the defensive side is either Mike McDonald is just one of the best defensive coordinators in the league, and it kind of doesn't matter who the guys are because his scheme is so good, or some of these young guys take a step. Because if if he's not you know one of the best and they don't take a step, that's where we start to talk about the worst case yes, scenario. Would very much agree with that. But Pass those two things coming together, all of a sudden, they're a top five unit. That's their ceiling. I agree. Yeah, that's I would agree. It is a top five unit ceiling. Yep. I also think it is a mid twenties basement Agreed. for them. Uh, they were 16th in pass rush grade last year, so they they will probably need to uptick that based on how the coverage looks this year. So. We'll see. Like I said, they finished 14th in coverage, uh, hovering there in the middle of the NFL, a couple spots in front of the Browns. 
I just think they have more questions than answers. Losing Marcus Peters and some of the things over the years here. I'm not sure what that, that unit will look like, but two teams yeah. at the top of the division that, that are hinging on, can they figure out secondary play, right? The Browns are on the flip side of that. We're going to talk about how the Browns are on the flip side of that uh, after a quick break where we're going to hear from our sponsor. So we will be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, guys? It's Jake again, here to talk about what I do believe is the premium place to buy tickets for your NFL season this year. You go into Browns games, trying to find the best prices. Should you wait? Should you not? You know, week one is creeping up on us, but there are some really fun games on that home schedule, and you can get any of them using the GameTime app. That is GameTime.co if you're on the web browser, but the app is where it's at. Shouldn't be stressful to buy tickets, and man, game time's the fastest, easiest way to buy those tickets for any sporting event, local, whether it's, like I said, you're going to Browns games or you want to go to concerts, comedy, theater, anything. They got killer last-minute deals, price guarantee, all the stuff you need so you can stop stressing over tickets, start getting hyped up for the fun you'll have. Right? Go to the game time app. I do it all the time, looking at trying to take my nephews to an Ohio State game this year. You know, the, the experience of looking at not just the, the best deals, the flash deals, right? Those last minute deals you can unlock, but also being able to look at the stadium map and pick out where you want to sit and get the picture from, you know, where the spot in the stadium is. And then again, the lowest price guarantee, cancellation event protection, job loss protection, all of that stuff just makes it even better. It's the place to go for last minute tickets, or to be honest, even when you're planning ahead, I think it is 100% the place to go. And Again, you, you have a fantastic mobile app. You can go online. You can look at those seats. 
They're sent directly to your phone. Those tickets are. You don't have to dig through your email. Two taps, you're set. Everything you need is at Game Time. So download the Game Time app, create an account, use the promo code OBR, very simply, OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem the code OBR, $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, Steelers are the trendy team, right? So, such a weird again, thing to say, man. Such it a, is. When it you is. think about this division and how good the Bengals are, how good the Ravens are, I think. The fact that the I, – I mean, I know this is not what we're here to talk about, but the fact that the Steelers are the team getting the heat going into the season blows my mind. They have the most questions, in my mind, by far, of any team in this division. I, w- I would say that. I think we said the Ravens have a wide range. The Steelers have a wide range on in theory. But the thing with the Ravens and the Steelers is you're talking about these wide ranges. They're probably going to land in the middle because these teams don't have losing records and mm-hmm. they're just always competitive. It's not like you're like, ah, you know, maybe the Steelers end up 5-13 and, and 13 this year. and what, Like when that day comes, I'll believe it, but – they have gone through seasons with the corpse of Ben Roethlisberger and Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph and Mitch Trubisky, and they yep. can't find a way to have a losing season. So I sit here every year saying the same things. It feels like the last few years about this team shouldn't be good, and they and they always find a way. You and I talked last year about how they were like three and seven and rattled off eight wins or something like, or said not eight, but six straight wins to close the year and. I think six and one or something like that to go nine and eight. Like they just, these two, these, the AFC teams at the top, the Ravens and the Steelers are like cockroaches. They don't, you can step on them. You can, you can, you can do all the, they don't go away. So again, I think these two teams, the Ravens and Steelers have really large outcomes. And maybe the people who cover those other teams are like, well, the Browns have a pretty large outcome range too. Well, and they do. We'll get sure. to that. We'll get but there. like, I just feel like the Steelers, it's, it's crazy. So all right. Like I look at their offense, yeah. Deontay Johnson, and apparently George Pickens is, is a chance to become all world here. Um, yep, apparently, you know, I mean, and he's <laughs> give him credit. He's made some incredible plays in the preseason sure. and camp and all that. And maybe he does launch into another stratosphere where his best work is just sort of these jump balls and digs and it's a limited route tree, but it never matters because they find ways to make those routes matter. But you look at it, you know, Allen Robinson is your third receiver. That's not exactly great. Right. And then yep. after that, it's like Miles Boykin and Calvin Austin and Gunnar Olashevsky. Yeah, I got that right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not entirely encouraging. And then again, you look at the the offensive line. It should be better. Dan Moore, left tackle like Isaac Siumalu, who they like a lot, has played well. Then Mason Cole, James Daniels and Chukwoma Okorafor. I, I mean, I don't know. Pat Fryermuth <laughs> is fine. Is this, Dar- is this supposed to be the best case scenario? <laughs> I don't even know what side I'm saying. Like the, <laughs> Like, okay, that's the question. What is the best case scenario? Because, you know, Pittsburgh people who cover them are perpetually positive. And why yeah. wouldn't you be? I mean, yeah. you have no reason not to be. It's been, but when yeah, I look at the, like, if all the four, of often, the, of four offenses here, I don't want them. They're the team's no, sure. offense that I yeah. don't want. So right. the best case scenario. Right, yeah, let, let, me, let me pitch a best case you scenario. You do it. Give let it me to pi- me. Let me pitch a best case As scenario. an owner of Kenny Pickett's stock in a couple fantasy leagues here, I'm trying I know to, where you're I'm going. I'm trying to cut back. I'm trying to cut back. But the, yeah, no, I mean, the. the 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 upside scenario here is that Kenny Pickett is is good enough, and I know this is going to sound crazy, but Kenny Pickett is good enough at at kind of running around and making plays, and he's got Deontay Johnson and George Pickens and Pat Fryermuth to bail him out enough that they can kind of be a you know run first team play action and 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 then Kenny Pickett you know 
in late game situations, makes plays, extends drives with his legs, and they just kind of keep, you know, they keep grinding out wins because I, I think that we will talk about the defense. I think the defense will be pretty good. So then the offense doesn't have to be elite. The offense just has to kind of keep the ball, keep the ball moving and keep scoring points. And I think they can do that. So I think the way that they do that is through Kenny Pickett being not, you know, not like a top five quarterback, but you know, uh, a, certainly a, an above average NFL quarterback who makes a few plays with his legs, extends plays outside of the pocket, and then the, those two wide receivers, you know, have some some ability, some chemistry with him th- that it just, you know, becomes that sort of thing. Like sort of mid-career Ben Roethlisberger, where he would just run around for a while and then chuck it, and somehow it's always Heinz Ward on the other end of it, right? Like that was, for years, that was the Steelers' recipe. And when the defense is really good, that's enough for the team to be pretty damn good. And I think I think that's the path forward. Then, you know, you talk about the offensive line. The path forward there is... They added Broderick Jones in the first round. If Dan Moore can't, you know, hold on to that job, they've got that option there. I think they like Nate Herbig as a guard, so they've got some guys that they like in depth. They obviously do. They traded away two backup guards at the end of the preseason. So, you know, the, they they think they've kind of found some answers on the offensive line. If the offensive line is like a coherent top 10 unit, that would be the first time for a long time in Pittsburgh. Uh, and, and so that, you know, would provide a boost to the running game. I think that's the... The, the the best case scenario for the Pittsburgh Steelers offense is that they are sort of one of the most annoying offenses to watch in the NFL, where it's like they can't keep getting away with this and then they keep doing it. You're talking Kenny Pickett driven. I agree. It feels like Jalen Warren might end up being a more yep. useful player than mm-hmm. Najee Harris. But, you know, they finished 14th in pass blocking last year, a little better than you would probably predict. They're run blocking again, 16th. So they've found a way to be an average offensive line, which is kind of annoying because that was the sort of one angle that we could believe the Browns always had a leg up. And now all of the teams in the division are getting better along the offensive line. Yeah, it is. You know, at times last year, Matt Canada is just getting made fun of by people who study X's and O's for things they're doing. It it all comes down to Kenny Pickett. Can he be the next? I mean, the preseason was really efficient, really strong, but it's the preseason. And you're not facing Atlanta's backups. You're not facing some of the, the the groups that he faced. And, you know, we can pretend all we want that preseason success carries over to real games that matter, but that's just not the case. But he does look more competent. He's had a better camp from people who cover them. Like, if he's good, you know, you have three weapons in mm-hmm. outside of the running backs that can be effective players. And you're right. They have a chance to be like a really annoying offense where just like they throw up these sideline balls, right? Yep. Where they get caught or yep. a flag gets you know thrown. Yep. And like they do that better than, and I don't even know if I'm saying better than, um, they do that More at an annoying rate. That's the way to put it uh, than most teams. But yep. that's the best case. I don't like their, them being in the top half of NFL offenses. Top 15 is a good outcome for them. I think that's yep. what I would feel is a good yep. outcome. Do you think that the t- they, they can go beyond that? I think they could push to the fringe of the top 10. Okay. I mean, we're talking best case scenario. You know, we're talking the offensive line clicks in the way that they think it should, and Kenny Pickett is sort of the best version of the sort of scrappy nonsense that he likes to do as a quarterback. And George Pickens really is truly like a top ten wide receiver. Then yeah, I think the top, I, I think around the top ten is, is possible. Okay, so around the top ten, you're saying is the top uh, end of the scenario. Talk yeah. me through. The worst case scenario. I don't think we have to get too oh, I would love crazy, to, t- too crazy, creative to talk through the worst case scenario here, but yeah. we can do that. Yeah. 
the worst case scenario for them, I think, revolves around Kenny Pickett being a second year quarterback who showed mi- minimal success in his first year mm-hmm. and significant liabilities at times. And we know firsthand as Browns fans that the the jump from first year quarterback to a second year quarterback is always the hardest for these guys because defensive coordinators, the book is out now, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, we talked earlier, the, the Steelers get the, you know, the Steelers get the Broncos, or <laughs> not the Broncos, the 49ers. That, you know, the 49ers come to town week one. Not, you know, it's it's not D'Amico Ryans, it's Steve Wilkes, right? But but the the point is, does do the forty do the 49ers do something to the Steelers that they haven't seen, right? And then it's Jim Schwartz week two. You know, and then you look you look down at D'Amico Ryans is week four, they go to Houston, and then it's Mike McDonald. So by the by the midseason, if there's two or three Kenny Pickett disaster games where teams have found his tell, they've found his weakness. And he's throwing up prayers that are not being answered. That's where the wheels start to come off for this team, and this is why their variance, I think, is fairly high because I think the the downside for this offense is one of the poorer offenses in the league, honestly. Because if the quarterback isn't who they think he is based on the preseason, I think he's kind of the way that they've got this thing built. Their running game is not sufficient to hold it together. No, I don't think so either. And, and their offensive line is not—it's—it's it's not bad, but it's certainly not so dominant that they can—they can, they can kind of dictate to teams and and play from in front. You know, the defense is going to keep them in games, but this—you know—I think the downside is that there are serious questions about Kenny Pickett. He has a few real meltdown games through the first half, and the book on how to defend him and how to confuse him gets out, and then they just can't their offense breaks by midseason, And uh, you mentioned Matt Canada earlier. He's not exactly the guy that's going to solve things on the fly. I don't think he's not. He has a very unique style. I think they've been encouraged by some of the things that have happened, how he's performed in the preseason. Some of the changes, you know, I I've kind of obviously been pretty vocal about liking some of the things that I've seen alter, but um, you know, to me, I guess we should ask what's the bottom level of this? Like, are they a a, a bottom five offense or like somewhere in the twenties? Yeah, I, yeah, I think you could see them get to that kind of like rough outcome mm-hmm. uh, yeah. of of being, you know, being bad. There's just I, there's so much hope for them around Kenny Pickett, um, and, and and that optimism is a little it's a little scary, right? You know, for um, having been through the Baker Mayfield thing recently is kind of yeah. why I would say that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can you can see where that gets uh, a little murky. So, all right, um, let's shift over and talk about the defense now. I think it's a pretty dang good group. Yeah. I mean, you know, Larry and 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 Keanu Benton and and Cam Cam Hayward mm-hmm. uh, is obviously deadly up front. You have T.J. Watt. They re-signed Alex Highsmith. And again, it is another group like the other three in the division that we have talked about who have clearly spent a pretty significant amount of their dollars and investment in the front. It is, yep. you know, the linebackers are a question. Cole Holcomb and Landon Roberts. They have uh, complete game questions. They did sign Quan Alexander to try to alleviate a little bit of that, but you know how that goes. None of those guys are really a difference maker. They are not difference makers. I think that's the way to continually put that. So those are your, you know, that's your front. It's, it's pretty dang good. They even have Marcus Golden and some nice pieces like DeMarvin Leal as depth pieces. There's a ton of confidence there. Um, and, and, and just a a upper echelon NFL, but again, the secondary, you know, you're talking, Levi Wallace, who is talented, right? I think he's he's pretty sure. dang talented. Um, but but again, a lot of question marks about his game. Demonte Casey, like they brought him in. Keanu Nealon, former Atlanta guys, 
who were, you know, then made other stops, one in Tampa, one in Dallas, but they, you know, had their launch in Atlanta. We know who Mink is, but then you're talking Patrick Peterson and Shandon Sullivan. And it's yeah. like, you know, it's uh, again, a, a pretty good group here, but mm-hmm. how good depends on how well the secondary plays. So your best case scenario is that the front makes it relatively irrelevant and they continue yeah. to do a good job of taking guys like Patrick Peterson in the Joe Hayden mold and making those guys competent, right? That they, they make them competent in their, in their sort of situation, sort of a, a, a real irrelevance uh, piece of this whole thing. So uh, they've just had this plug and play ability with these secondary guys, you know, Mink yeah. has been a, a clear difference maker for them, but uh, the best case scenario like is again, they're a pretty dang good defense that is just like, like last year they were, <laughs> they're stingy as hell and their mm-hmm. front is hard to run on. And their um, you know, pressure makes you so uncomfortable that you just sort of feel hurried and that takes care of the secondary to an extent. So um, that's sort of where I'm at with them. Uh, that the secondary is the large question. Uh, if the secondary can overcome some of the other stuff, right. Um, is the is the big part here but i feel like their variance in the secondary is wider than the ravens in the and you could say they're parallel with the Bengals, but they're right there in my opinion of like the variance of this secondary talent and how yeah. how well it's gonna play out the Bengals just have invested more premium players we'll Agreed. see if they end yeah. up being premium players but yeah best cases they're still really dang good because they just have a formula for plug and playing some of these questionable talents yeah. in the secondary the worst case is that the secondary is really rough and they just can't get yeah. any coverage to continually happen to, and the guys up front are getting super frustrated because they can't get after the quarterback you know i think i like the steelers defense the most of any defense in the afc north okay. um in terms of what their ceiling is i i just because i have seen i have we have we have absolutely watched steelers secondaries with less talent than this be fine because of the way that they play defense right especially with minka fitzpatrick still back there it's not that they have any other players back there, but they have options, right? It's it's Levi Wallace, Patrick Peterson, Shannon Sullivan, plus Joey Porter Jr., plus they just signed Desmond King, you know. So it, it's there's it, they've even got the two two safeties next to Minka, Casey, and Neil. So that you know, if one guy is not doing what they want, they can kind of go a different direction, and they can they're gonna piece piece it together, is what I feel like. And so I think. Uh, as much as I hate to say it, I you know I mean I would love to predict worse things, but I think their upside is the best defense in the NFL. It can be in that group. I would agree with that because the, the front um, seven is just if Keanu Benton is what he has looked like in the preseason, and you add plop him in with Cameron Hayward and Larry. Mm-hmm. Ogden, I mean that is really really disappointing <laughs> as a Browns yeah. fan. Yeah, and it, it, but it's an incomplete unit, right? Like it, it really is a secondary that makes me uneasy. Yeah, and but I, they've gotten I do, away with that in the past. Is all they I'm have saying. gotten away with it. I just wonder if they're pushing the envelope further than they even have because yeah. Edmonds was a solid safety. Right. I mean, like no, I hear I you. I hear you. I don't know. You I, need Joey of, Porter Jr. Marks. Yep. You need yeah. Joey Porter Jr. Yes. to be a real player for right. them at yep. the corner position because mm-hmm. they. I mean, he was a fringe first round pick, right? He was I think he was. Yeah. He had, they had the Bears picks. He was the first yeah, pick the of the second round. Um. Yeah. Anyway, you know, they signed Desmond King mm-hmm. could help. We were pretty Which, bummed about that. To, right? to your point, Jake, I think that maybe is a sign that they're not thrilled with how things are. You Typically, teams that love where they're at in the secondary don't go out and sign uh, a, a veteran at final cuts. You know what I mean? Well, they did that at linebacker, too, with Quan Alexander. So right. I think our, our, our summation there that, hey, these guys um, and this could be a thing that you give them a little bit more credit for, too, which is. Sure. 
you know, they've identified these weaknesses. We haven't been all too pleased with this, but we're going to try to continue to add until we get there. I think they're trying to do exactly what we're saying here, which is, hey, this defense is extremely talented up front. Can we just find enough guys to make it matter in the back half? Right. That's it. So just trying to piece I think it together. The Steelers being outside of the top 15 defenses doesn't feel right to me. So their basement is probably that, right? So yeah, 12, um, 12 to 15. Yeah. 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 I think, I think that that probably is where I feel most comfortable putting them. If they fall, if they fall to average defense though, with an average offense, then I think that like you're starting to talk about a way to losing a lot of games, you know, only winning seven or eight games. If that defense isn't <laughs> yeah. like, I think that defense needs to be yep. really good. Yeah. That's no, kind of what I'm getting at. I, I mean, we have talked a lot from a Browns perspective, a lot about how it's challenging the first four weeks are with playing everybody in the division. But I will say getting the Bengals week one, when they're trying to figure out a, a most of their secondary and then getting the Steelers week two, where they're in the same boat. I think that's good news for the Browns because I think the, the Browns should really should be able to exploit weaknesses on both of those secondaries. Agreed. Agreed. They should. Well, yeah. we should shift to the Browns then, right? Can't wait. Um, uh, can't wait. So with the Browns, you know, I don't need to switch over the depth chart or anything. Offensively, I'm what is it hint for you? What's the, I mean, like, what's the what's the best case for the offense? Just just talk me through how high you think it goes. The best case for the offense is that it is a perfect fusion of the Kevin Stefanski offense that we have watched over the past three seasons in terms of being multiple running the ball, winning, finding winning running game tactics uh, mm-hmm. week to week. And, and that married with the Deshaun Watson passing attack from the 2020 Houston Texans. And that offense is a top five offense in the NFL. That's the, that's the, that's the upside. That, the upside is that high. I, I don't think that the Browns can challenge to be the best offense in the NFL because I just think where the league is right now, uh, there are other more established quarterbacks that have been in their systems, whether it's the, the, the Bills, the Bengals, or the Chiefs even the Eagles, frankly, that, you know, have more consistency week to week. But the the top the top end for the Browns is that those two things marry up perfectly and that going into any week, they can choose how they want to dissect an opposing defense, right? So if they think that team is more susceptible to a run-heavy approach that relies on, you know, mostly out-physicaling them and then taking big play-action shots – they can do that. And then if the next week they're playing, I mean, go back to the Kevin Stefanski game plan against the Pittsburgh Steelers both times they played in 2021. He hates running into their front with loaded boxes. So he spreads them out and tries to throw the ball to 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 basically go around them, right? Well, Deshaun Watson is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL over the past few years before everything happened at throwing out empty, right? So one week you can you can run two or three tight ends and run the ball down a team's throat and Watson's hitting deep play action shots to Goodwin. The next week you're in five, you know, five wide, empty, dicing up the Steelers because they don't have four cornerbacks that can cover play to play, right? And that ability to change from one week to the next is is like a dream come true for a coach like Kevin Stefanski. I don't know if it'll be that dramatic week to week. It's just I'm trying to give an example of they could really truly major in both a, a devastating running attack and a very efficient and explosive passing offense. That's the that's the upside. That's the 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 best case scenario. 
I don't think I have much to really add to that. They they want to be a team that can go week to week and do the things you're saying. I will say something that irked me was I saw this post where there was a graph about throwing out of, um, you know, something about like out of empty. And I was like, okay, that also says no running backs on the field. Right. Most NFL sets come from run. Like, look how many teams play. Yeah, that like, was, that was t- a bad like, graph. Like, yeah, it was like like what are that that is misguided information there for for the collective of what a guy is any neither here nor there. But Watson has been good at it. We wrote on it, right? The the website wrote on it. He's been fine. So, yep. um, you're right. Adaptability week to week, and Watson adding the layers that they've never had before in his comfort. The RPO stuff starts to look comfortable. I can think you and I could agree that like it's been fun to talk about it, right? about yeah. the RPO stuff, but it's never really manifested itself mm-hmm. uh, in a way that is, uh, that is, that has mattered. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think that there's a chance that uh, they, they get that version. And if they do, do you think that's a top of the NFL offense? That's kind of the question um, that is yeah. lingering, right? Like you can't, how high yeah, top, is high? top five? I, I don't, I don't think best in the, in the league, but, but top five. All right. So what hinders them? What's the worst case scenario for you? Well, the worst case scenario is basically the opposite of what I just said, right? The, the the worst case scenario is that they have lost the running game that they had built because they're trying to accommodate Deshaun Watson's, you know, desire to be out of the shotgun more often, desire to be in more empty sets. And so they aren't able to run the ball with the same efficiency that they have in years past. And Watson is never, is not able during this season, at least, to recover his form from before missing all of that time. And so they are inconsistent running the ball, inefficient running the ball, like they were at the end of last season. And mm-hmm. Watson is an inconsistent quarterback, which leads to a lot of three and outs, a lot of frustration, and ultimately, you know, a, a, a below average NFL offense would, I think, be their their floor would probably be like 20 to 23, something like that. I don't see a scenario where he is as bad as he was in those six games last year. I just don't think it's possible because of how good Kevin Stefanski is at, you know, if, if, if things start rough, Stefanski will at some point, I believe, go back to what he's best at, which is building the, the ship to protect the quarterback. And I think at that point, that's where the floor comes in, but that also really limits their ceiling. And so I, I think they would, you know, if, if it, if it starts off precipitously bad, then I think they would kind of even out towards the end of the year and not nosedive throughout the season, but I guess you can't rule that out. So I, I would say the floor is like 20 to 24. Okay. I think that's fair. What I, the things that uh, let's just kind of go over the things that worry me the most. Sure. Of course. Yeah. I would say the offensive lines end of last year is indicative of sort of who they are in perpetuity. Now that they mm-hmm. are just going to be a group that is kind of underachieving, leaving you wanting more. Yep. You think that there's more to them. There's not, they, they continually like, one per, one person is giving up pressure that ends up causing a headache on the play. Um, I'm worried about the consistency and one part of that offensive line breaking down is just yeah. like, and yeah. that's sort of unpredictable game to game where, mm-hmm. where the pressure arrives, the time at which that pressure arrives, et cetera, et cetera. I think there's a lot of elements to that, but like um, the offensive line, I think that them let getting me, to let me say something about that quick. Yeah. I, I think there's the validity to that is essentially that you're saying Jed Wills continues to be, we have seen him be inconsistent, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think we, either of us have any doubts about Joel Batonio. I think there's definitely room for concern about Ethan Posich basically catching a heater at the beginning of last year and not ever getting back to that level. Although Nick Harris being available does kind of comfort me a little bit there. 
Mm-hmm. Wyatt Teller has continued to be inconsistent based on mostly his health and the same for Jack Conklin. So I think, yeah, it's it's some com- combination of like, not, a, not not you're not saying like a bunch of devastating injuries, but like nagging injuries and just kind of inconsistency where, like you said, it's not that they're all bad at the same time, but with an offensive line, it really only takes one weak link. They need the offensive line to be really good, point blank. Like, I don't yeah. think, like, the Bengals can survive without the offensive line Amen. being pretty yeah. good. And I guess I, I should say maybe there's a world in which Deshaun, like, the example would be his scramble there, Andrew, mm-hmm. that, that turns into the Amari Cooper catch. If you watch that, he's beat, right? Like, Jed is Jed is pretty obviously beat, but, but does an actually decent job of riding his man inside. Deshaun can get outside and you can make a play i just think that it it, it worries me a lot let me put it mm, that way it, it really worries me that if they're not good and deshaun is not always on time then there's more created pressure and all of that we'll see if that what what comes of it but that's a big thing that worries me so again the elijah moore add-on and then you talk about again just the health stuff i hate doing that but like you know is the depth good enough at wide receiver sure. is the you know the, i just think that there's a chance that you think the Browns have solved teams getting down, playing man coverage face to face. And it's like, Oh, they actually haven't. It's the same sort of issue there that mm-hmm. can come up from time to time. Steelers, Ravens, Bengals, get them in third and third and pass. And then it's like, you know, even I, I want to be careful though, because that's just sort of uh, just projecting some previous experience because, you know, if you look at the chiefs game again, that's just one, uh, you know, just one game, but, but they, uh, they had, to, they had a third down throw. The one that he missed, he just missed it. Right. Yeah. So, um, I think I'm pretty high on them, Andrew. I'm pretty high on what they can be collectively. Um, you know, I, th- I really do think they can be pretty good, the, the, but the range is sort of tight. Like I see them as a top 10 unit or sort of hovering at 20. Okay. Like I think they can be a top 10 unit or hover at 20. And if Deshaun is extremely good, you could get to the top five. If he is just like out of this world good, I think you can get there. But... Uh, there's a chance, right, man, where he's not and he's just kind of okay. And if he's just kind of okay, then you start to move back the ranges a little bit there. I think you can you can say that the ranges would be a little bit off. So um, that's the offense. Defense, we should project too. I think they're going to be right at 10. I think they're going to be 8 to 12 mm-hmm. offensively. Where do you think they finish? It's getting to that time of the year, Jake, where you have to actually make predictions. And I I... I don't see any reason why I would expect less than 10. So I, I'm, I'm going to say five to eight. I'll say that they end up right around eight, eight to 10. I'll mm-hmm. say eight to 10, a little on the softer side. I think they're going to be good. Um, and, and, and kind of, uh, at the higher end of what I'm projecting there a little bit, but, uh, eight to 10 feels about right for me. They get to five. That means Deshaun is, Oh, okay. This guy is yep. really, really, you know, as they say, he's locked in, you know, locked in, Andrew. Um, defense, I think I'm actually more optimistic about the defense. I, I got to yep. be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their front is good, is pretty good. Maybe even suffice to say they're really damn good. Yep. Like Dalvin Shelby and then getting some, like I'm just watching that Chiefs game and I'm watching like when the best is out there and I'm like, man, <laughs> like you add Okoronkwo into this equation and you get really speed oriented on some of these downs. It's really good. And then JOK in that chiefs game is just sort of untied to any sort of scenario. He's just flying around and it's like, 
okay, if that guy is going to be that version, that's extremely fun and dangerous, right? Like, I I don't know. I think they got a chance to be pretty. If the health is good in the secondary, they have as much or more talent. I think they have more talent than anyone there. I just uh, I see them as a five to ten range defensively. The worst case scenario we can get to, but I want your response to kind of what I'm saying with the high side. Yeah, I think I think best case scenario. Uh, I I don't think that they have the the depth maybe or the you know the the waves to be like a, a top into the top five, but I definitely think they're a top ten defense. Best case scenario. Um, who, let me ask you this: who who in the division has a a better pass rush that you really believe is just like way out in front of them from a pass rush perspective or is there one or do you think they're right there with everyone no i mean i think if you're talking about the front i i you know just the defensive line i'm taking the browns front first and it's probably the it's probably the steelers right right behind i think it's it's just a question of flavors right because i still Mm -hmm. i still think that there's legit reason to wonder if they're going to be able to stop the run like I, I love what they've done from a pass rush production standpoint, but I, th- I think there's still a, a question about what their run defense looks like. I think it'll be better. I, it mm-hmm. almost couldn't help but be better than last year. But I, I, you know, this this is more a, a thing for the worst case scenario. But I think that's where. So it, it really, if you're comparing them and the Steelers, it's a question: of which flavor do you prefer? Do you prefer the 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 ass kickers that the Steelers have, where they're just going to beat the hell out of you for 60 minutes, or do you prefer the Browns that, you know, uh, might not be quite as physical, but are certainly the most athletic front, I think, in the league. I uh, I just, as I respond to thinking about that, I, I think we're, we're sort of geared to forgetting or being scarred by some of that stuff sure, sure. in the past. And we, uh, we, we misplace where I, I just have thought these guys are ridiculously talented. Yeah. No, I, um, I, I mean, I don't disagree. Just... I, yeah, you, you would like the Steelers, You'd like the Browns' edge rushers one through three better than the Steelers' edge rushers one through three, right? Like, mm-hmm. I like Garrett over Watt. I've said that for years. Definitely like Zadarius Smith over Alex Highsmith. And so now what is it? Ogbo Okoronkwo against Marcus Golden? I think that's a no-brainer. Yeah, and when you, you sort of say but it's, it. It's, I, the, it's, the, it's the interior, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Talking about second. I guess I'm looking for your worst. I've given you my best case. Where does it go wrong outside of injuries? Like, yeah, is there is there a part of this? And we're sort of living in the Denzel world right now. Mm-hmm. But is there a part of this that you say I can see where this goes wrong? The thing that I think and and I agree with you, Jake, that a lot of this is based on where we have been. But it's also hard when you're changing a defensive scheme not to, you know, it's, it, you, you almost kind of can't start fresh. Right. Because the, to some extent, you have to go on what you've seen. Mm-hmm. And what we saw last year was a, a defensive secondary that could not stop blowing coverages. And so I, I, you know, there's a concern that that continues, whether it's, you know, Grant Delpit or maybe Rodney McLeod doesn't help as much as they thought he would, or, you know, Juan Thornhill is just kind of, you know, a little bit too freelancey back there. I don't know. I'm, I'm just saying, I think that piece, and then, you know, you would, you would meld that with, the inability of the defensive line to uh, stop the run still, I think, is is still the question. And so that becomes – those two things often can be complementary, right? Because just just when you finally get a stop on a rundown, now it's a third and, third and long and somebody gets cut loose in the secondary, right? So I think that is the genesis of if – we, if we're – yeah, we're trying to – we're setting injuries aside, then I think the two things that you would say is – 
Can they hold up? Can they really hold up against the run? Especially against teams that are bound and determined to run the ball, right? Not teams that want to turn to the pass. And then two is can the secondary iron out some of those communication breakdowns and coverage stuff? And I like, I, I do think there's reason to be confident that they can because I think Jim Schwartz plays a very different and much simpler brand of defensive football than Joe Woods. But until you see it, it's hard not to think about what we saw so often last year. The thing I'm also interested in is if you listen to people talk about Jim Schwartz is the coverage stuff. Are they going to play too much man-to-man? Right. Right? Great point. It could because, and again, that's part of like my my larger scheme discussion. I'm trying to get through what happened in the preseason, but they played a lot of man. And like if you listen to people from Philly talk about Schwartz experience, you know, they will, they will tell you that he was too predictable in the back half. Whereas a lot of our optimism with Schwartz, which is hard not to be optimistic is built on, Hey, he was just in so-and-so he was just in Tennessee and he learned a bunch, right? He, he, He got with him about taking his front and disguising it with the, the, you know, the back half being more, you know, rotating, moving, going one look pre to post. And, you know, they've talked about simplifying a lot of this, right? They've, Mm -hmm. they've loved to use that simplify, simplify, simplify thing. And uh, I agree with it. Right. I agree with like that approach and sort of everything that went wrong last year was tied in the secondary early in the season and even creeped into some of their mid season stuff around those issues. But if they don't get more diverse in the secondary, you start to have those concerns about, you know, teams just understanding that they're predictable, knowing what coverage they're going to be. Oh, they're single high. They're going to play a lot of cover three. When they're in too too high, it's two and six. They didn't play any quarters in the preseason at all. So right. again, just just uh, if it goes wrong, you're, you're you're talking about that as a as an angle for why it goes wrong. I think so. Yeah, I think with with the defense, I think the philosophy of this front office and the reason they went after Jim Schwartz specifically. Mm-hmm. is because they believe in the players that they have assembled and they think talent-wise they are good enough to be somewhat predictable, right? Because if if it's one thing if the quarterback can stand there pre-snap and say, "Oh, yeah, that that there's the indicator, they're in 3." But if Miles Garrett is is in his lap in two and a half seconds and and the corners are sticky enough for those first few seconds, then it doesn't matter, right? Like I think the bet the Browns are making is that their defensive talent is good enough for it not to matter that sometimes they're a little bit vanilla. They're not trying to win by scheme. In other words, they're trying to win by being just just being more athletic, being more aggressive than the other team. And we know in the NFL that that can be a gamble because when you lose betting on your cornerbacks to hold up in man to man, you can lose big. Yeah, you can. And and again. Uh, you're talking high level football stuff now. So right. what I mean by that is you're not talking about just doing certain, you know, certain sort of little things right. I think what you're what you're saying here is you get into those big time crunch games. What, you know, what then you start picking apart more, right, Andrew? Like you're picking apart more of, hey, they're not doing enough to be diverse in coverage. They're not doing enough to be uh, you know, uh, when, when they're they're giving these indicators away, when they're in man to man, et cetera, et cetera. I just like again, the, you, Schwartz gets picked apart because he played in so many humongous games and yep. in Philly. And you know, you hear those people talk about him. Sometimes they'll they'll talk about that secondary stuff. So I just think the secondary part has a is a chance to be a 
a sort of inhibitor. Uh, yep. we'll put we'll put it that way. I, I yeah, think and I, I think a lot of it comes down to the 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 entire argument for the defense is essentially that they were a very talented unit last year that was poor, really poorly coached, misused. Right, mm-hmm. the scheme did not fit the talent. They were not aggressive enough for the the level of talent. And so there's a you know as, as with all of this stuff, there's a little there's a lot of projection there. There's a lot of the the front office saying, no, these guys are good. They were just not put in the right situations. And I think it's going to be a question until you see it. And then to your point, it's not just, you know, they can start the season strong, but if then teams adjust to what they're doing and start to find those indicators, then how do they adjust to that? And that's where, you know, the questions about Jim Schwartz, you know, you want to see how he ha- what he has learned from his time in Tennessee in terms of getting away from something when it's becoming too predictable or too easy to diagnose. I think the way we're sort of sort of searching for what could go wrong with this defense is a big indicator. Like I agree. I, 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 it, again, health is huge here because you, they do, they do run some guys who have had some health issues. So it is again, a big part of the discussion that is very fair. But to me, I, I just, I continue to lean on this idea that the defense should be pretty good. If everything falls in line, the defense should be pretty good. And like, if they're, if they're just healthy, the talent is there to not be confused, not be conflicted, to be able to handle a pretty simplistic thought process from what they're doing. And then maybe when they get more comfortable in those bigger leverage moments, right, they can, uh, can, can put in some stuff that confuses people a little bit more. Let's put it that way. Right. So, uh, again, I think what you and I agree, the variable, the, the, the offense, which is kind of surprising here, the offense is a little bit more, wider than the like the offenses predict trying to say this the right way when you start to look at like how to predict these guys the offense is feeling like the less predictable of the two units which i don't think we would have said that before if that makes sense like i feel like we just kind of gotten there because of the additions and maybe the exposure to some really good defense in the preseason or something of that nature yeah i mean i i think i think the it really just is because of the quarterback you know i think if we had if, if, you know, if you had some crystal ball that, that, you know, like if I told you right now that Deshaun Watson was going to play this year as the 10th best quarterback in the league, that would answer 95% of your questions about the the offense, right? Yeah. Yeah. We like, we just, we think this football team is going to be really good. I, I, I know it's easy to get into the negative space on all of this, but they should be good, Andrew. They really should. The talent yeah. is there. The coaching is there. And the expectations from us are there. They should be there, right? Yeah. I, I think it's safe to say that expectations, I think we think the talent is the best that it's been since the return. And I think the expectations are as high as they have been since the return as a result. And I think it's hard for Browns fans, right? Because you you have are used to, you know, being let down and used to seeing the team struggle, uh, especially under the weight of expectations. But I I don't see any reason I mean, as you said, neither side do I see the floor falling out completely. So that being said, I think the ceiling is very high on both sides of the bowl. So my expectations are very high. All right. Our expectations are high as the, I think we've illuminated uh, quite a bit, but I hope you guys enjoyed this. I mean, we are talking about kind of a tough topic to avoid like saying, Hey, if everyone's healthy, because yeah. you could be right about so much of this, but if like someone gets hurt, it changes, it changes so much. Right. So, um, 
yeah, we'll we'll leave it at that. I, I think we've covered enough of both sides of this whole picture for both, you know, the 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 good and bad, best and worst. It probably wasn't the most clean cut at every time, but I think we <laughs> I think we handled it as well as we can possibly handle it. So uh, again, thanks to Andrew. This is a long one, but there's a lot to talk about. So thanks to Andrew for being here. Thanks to you guys for coming by. Join the OBR. Always say that. Take advantage of it, and then make sure you as well, um, you know, take the time to. Uh, to, to rate and review the pod. We always appreciate that. So from Andrew, from me, thanks for being here. We appreciate that part of it a ton. Um, and, and obviously, uh, you know, you guys uh, always come by and make it worth our time. So want you to have a fantastic Monday. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you guys and go Browns. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom, and a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.